Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you are about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. Turn to your Bible, if you will, again to Romans chapter 8. And as we're doing that, I'm going to kind of give a synopsis of where we have been so far. For the past two weeks, I've been preaching on the Holy Spirit or being led by the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then I also mention another scripture, Proverbs 20, 27, the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. That Spirit of man is the Holy Spirit who is the guide, and he will lead you or guide you. Amen? And so we're learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit. And first week we talked about in order to be led by the Holy Spirit, you must first identify with your spirit. And that is what was changed in you when you got saved or when you received the new birth through Jesus Christ. Your body didn't change. Your physical body did not change. Your soul didn't change, which is your mind, will, and emotions. It was your spirit that changed. And that's where the regeneration happened, where you became born again. And this is where we identify out of. But most Christians identify within their soul or by feeling or by emotion or by what they're feeding on. And so we got to get out of this place of living through our soul or living by our soul and living according to the spirit. The Bible references the soul as also being the flesh or the mind. And we know that in James chapter 1, it said to receive the engrafted word of God or to receive God's word, which is able to what? Save your souls. And in James, he was talking to the church. So this is someone that is already a Christian that is saved, and he's saying you're saved, but the continual process is going to happen for your soul. And we know that happens through Romans chapter 1 or 12, verse 1 and 2, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind or our soul or our flesh. Amen? And so last week we talked about the difference between your spirit and flesh, and I'm going to talk in some regards to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, and then we're going to get into this other idea of being spirit-fed. So turn to your Bible to Galatians. Actually, go to Romans 8. Let me read this verse again. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. And it says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot please God when we walk in the flesh. If you want to please God with your life, you're going to have to live in the spirit. And how do we live in the Spirit? Well, we set our mind on the Spirit. We set our mind on things of God. We abide in Him. We begin to, within our mind, set it on Him. The Bible also says that when you draw close to Him, He will draw close to you. When you read John chapter 15, it talks about being the vine or being a branch within the vine and the vine dresser being God. 
and how he will prune or cut away or clean up the branches that do not produce fruit. So as Christians, we know that we produce fruit. The same way a branch produces fruit, Christians produce fruit. Amen? Amen? And this is when we are connected to the vine, the source, who is God or Jesus. Amen? Which ultimately is his word. We got to be connected to his word. And in verse 9, it says this, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Can I tell you today that if you are a Christian, the spirit of God dwells in you. He dwells in you. You are housing the spirit of God. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. We know that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, For you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are new in Jesus. Amen. If you have given your life to God and you have been born again or saved and come into this covenant and relationship with God, you are born again. You are new. You are now housing the Spirit of God who dwells in you. And where you were dead, guess what? You're alive. You were dead in sin, but now you're alive in Christ. You were once separated from God, but you're no longer separated from God. Can I get an amen? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. And Romans chapter 8 verse 12 says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit... Or if you, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, let me just mention something here. We're talking about spiritually death and spiritually life. Being the difference between spiritually dead and spiritually alive. We're not talking about physical death and physical life. We're talking about spiritually. Okay? So, as Christians, we are spiritually alive in Christ. We're not dead. And this is the place where we live out of. And when we live from this place, and when we identify from this place, you experience what the Bible says in a second, life and peace. Amen? And it says in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry or we cry, Abba, Father, or just plain out, Daddy. Amen? You can call out to God and say, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do I know I'm a child of God? The Holy Spirit bears witness. He testifies to our spirit of what's been changed. So today, if you are saved but you don't feel saved, because of sin, because of submitting to that weakness and to the weakness of the flesh and the works of the flesh, can I tell you today, that is a lie. You need to submit to God, get it right in your heart, ask God for forgiveness and turn from it, repent, 
change your attitude, change your mind. But if you are in Christ, come on, say in Christ, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. See, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also, or we may also be glorified with him. So, this is what I really broke down to you last week. Now, moving ahead, going to Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to break down the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. See, my focus today is to help you understand that feeding your spirit will lead you to being led by the Holy Spirit. Because what you feed on, and feeding on is what? What you think about, what you look at, what you listen, everything you basically do with your five senses. This is about getting your five senses submitted to the one sense who is God or the Holy Spirit. It's submitting yourself to God. Because if you can bring these five senses and rein them in, because can I tell you that they're wild, they want to control you. But if you can rein them in and get them focused on what's been changed in you by feeding the spirit, by feeding your spirit, you'll be led by the spirit of God easily. Because you'll be able to recognize and respond to them. Because a lot of times we can't recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit because we got everything else that we're feeding onto. This is why it's so hard to know, it was it God speaking to me, or is it myself speaking to me, or am I hearing the voice of my friend, am I hearing the voice of the person I talked to about it, am I hearing what I listen to on YouTube or from the Facebook feed? This is the issue which lies in a believer of having dysfunction and not clarity and confusion. See, clarity or life and peace comes from God, but you got to feed on him. Amen? So the focus is to help you be led by the Spirit of God by being fed or by feeding your spirit. Now, in Galatians 5, verse 19, it says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And I know this is going to be a little heavy for a second because you're going to hear probably some of your own issues and weaknesses. Just want to give that disclaimer out real quick. This isn't to call you out, but this is going to help you. Amen. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Works of the flesh. Sexual immorality. Impurity sensuality, idolatry, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Skip ahead, but... The fruit of the Spirit, notice there's two differences now. We've got the works of the flesh, now the fruit of the Spirit, is love. Say love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. This is how we know how to handle the works of the flesh. We crucify the flesh. What is crucified? Literally what Jesus did. He was crucified on a cross. They murdered him. We got to murder the works of flesh, if I can say it like that. You crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Oh, wow. So there's passion and desires when it comes to my flesh. 
all the way. This is where it starts. We know that in James, it talks about the passions and the desires. And if we give into it, then it, sin will begin to be conceived and then it will be burst, right? But it starts at conception. In verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So let's break a couple of these work of the flesh down. I'm not going to break every single one of them down because there's a lot. I want to start off with the first one, idolatry. Idolatry. So this is a religious sin. This is a sin of worship. And it reminds us that it isn't only tragic to worship the wrong God or seek the wrong spiritual power, but it is also sinful. See, as Christians, we seek one God, and that is God in heaven, the great I am, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord. Amen? This is who we seek. This is why it's so important for us to not try to seek God through mediums or areas that leads to witchcraft. This is why it's so important for you to not idolize people. And I'm talking about people even in the church. See, we live in a society and time where we idolize people or we compare our life to people. And we ultimately, we give them our worship because we give them our value. Right? Let me just break it really simple. Ideology or what you idolize is what you give your most time to. What you give your most time to. That could be your job. That could be your phone. That could be your friends. That could be literally, you think about anything that gets your most time and your focus. It has first place in your life. Look, all those things that I just now mentioned, they're not wrong. Let me just help you. They're not wrong. Friends isn't wrong. Family's not wrong. Your job's not wrong. Life is not wrong. Enjoyment's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. God wants you to enjoy your life. But it's putting him first. Amen? See, ideology is the worship of any God except the Lord God. See, the Lord God is what is revealed to us by the Bible and in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me just help you. There's a lot of interpretations of who God is in society. They're wrong. If who you think God is is when you watch a TV show and they have a weird, quirky Christian being, I'll just say it, stupid, then that's, and that's your form of who God is and what a Christian is, you're flawed already. Amen? Because the world portrays Christians and God completely alternately to who he really is. A lot of people that I've talked to over the course of being here for five years have never heard the God that I preach, the God of the Bible. They've heard a form of it. When I talk to them, and for, honestly, when I've introduced myself as a pastor, the first thing I get is, you're not a pastor. You don't look like a pastor. You don't act like a pastor. I don't see you with the white collar, or I don't see you in a nice dress, like suit or something. When I'm at the gym and I introduce myself, like, pastors don't work out. Or they don't talk to you. They're not, they don't, they're not easy to talk to. There's a guy right now that I've been talking to for a while, for the past three years. He's not a Christian. And he was raised up in a heavily denominated uh, denomination. And he wants nothing to do with God because of that. 
And when he talks to me, it's so much simpler and easier for him to where I know God's working in his heart. And I know that this continual season I'm planting, one day it's going to see harvest in the name of Jesus. Amen. But see, we're talking about the God of the Bible. We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Not what your idea and your personal opinions are. Amen? Because we have a lot of thoughts of who Jesus is. And this is where we get flawed. And this is where we literally step away from God's word and get into our own ideology. we got to be careful. See, when people serve a God of their own opinion or of their own creation, they reject the true and living God. And that is sin. That's sin. See, someone might say, well, I can believe whatever I want. And guess what? You can. Let me tell you right now, you can believe whatever you want. I'm not here to throw or cast stones at you. You can believe whatever way you want to. That's your right. You got a free will. Praise God. Amen. That's good. But you will also bear the consequences of your wrong belief. And that's the tough part. And if you're okay with that, okay. But just be encouraged today and be open today. See, the Holy Spirit will never lead you into idolatry. And we know that idols can be what you value with your time, your focus, and with your money. So today, if you were to look at your life and look at everything that you do, you'll find out who's first. See, the Bible says those who practice... So who are the people in danger? It's people that practice such things. This means more than someone that's just committed adultery or more that someone just has committed fornication or sorcery or drunkenness or any of these. See, this speaks of those who continue to continue on in these sins. It's habitual. It's ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit that's telling them, stop. You're practicing it. It's become part of who you are. If you today can still do any of these things without any conviction, then there's something wrong. That means you haven't come to the understanding of what's changed in you yet. Or you probably really still haven't given your life to him. Because when you give your life fully to him, you know when you've done wrong. <laughs> can I get an Amen. And you feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Or you feel what sin does, the condemnation of that sin. We know that there's no condemnation in Christ to those that believe. But sin causes condemnation. Sin causes guilt. Sin causes shame. That's what it's designed to do. is to t- turn you and take you to the love of the perfect Father. Amen? See, the... Tense of the verb present indicates a habitual continuation. This word practice is a habitual continuation in fleshly sins. And it's to the point to those who continually practice such sins give evidence of never really receiving God's spirit. Or they have gone to that place where they're so immune to the voice of God. Practice represents a present, 
people that do such things, and it carries the implication that they do them constantly. Constantly. I'm going to help you get free today. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, see, the works of the flesh seem pretty overwhelming, right? I mean, some of the things I just now talked about are pretty overwhelming, right? Yeah, definitely. But in us and around us, the Holy Spirit is working. If you let him. See, God is good enough and big enough to change everything with the fruit of the Spirit. See, the fruit of the Spirit can always conquer the works of the flesh. Can I get an amen? See, significantly, it is the fruit of the Spirit that's completely different or opposes the work of the flesh. Works are works, and fruit is fruit. Fruit have several important characteristics that we're going to break down. Fruit isn't achieved by working. But it is birthed by abiding. Listen to what I'm saying. This is going to help you, whoever is staying in that constant place of habitual sin. It isn't achieved by doing or working. It is achieved by abiding or birth by abiding. The Bible says in John 15, 4, abide in me and I will abide in you. Get in his presence and the fruit of the spirit will come out of that place. Fruit is fragile. We know that apples, bananas, oranges, they're fragile. You throw them on the ground, they're going to break. After a period of time, they get the bruise, right? I don't know about you, but I can't eat a piece of fruit that has bruises on it. My mom could. I don't know. There's something about it. I just can't do it. Maybe my parents just <laughs> gave me the best fruit. I don't know. But I see a bruise on that thing. I'm like, nah. But my mom used to use bananas as banana bread when it had bruises. I remember that. Or you can freeze them and throw them in the, the uh, smoothie machine. But I'm not touching a fruit with a bruise on it. Come on, kids. Y'all with me? Yeah, see? They're with me. I know Brayden, he'll eat around a bruise on an apple. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> no. See, fruit is fragile. Fruit reproduces itself. We know a lemon tree is going to produce what? An apple tree, an orange tree, peach tree, peaches. It's after its own kind. It's going to re reproduce itself. Fruit is attractive in nature. Fruit nourishes. You ever been to a piece of fruit and it's like, man, this is exactly what I needed. Okay, so now we're talking about natural fruit. We're going to get into the fruit of the Spirit now. See, Paul used the plural in describing life after the flesh, works of the flesh. It was plural, works of the flesh. But he used singular fruit, not fruit. So a lot of people get this mistaken. They say the fruits of the Spirit. It's not plural. It's singular. It's fruit of the Spirit. See, in the big picture, the Spirit has one work to do in all of us, one work. These aren't the gifts of the Spirit like we see in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which are distributed on individual, which are distributed on an individual basis by the will of the Spirit. So it's different than the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts plural, fruit singular. See, it may be significant that the word fruit is singular. Paul is not speaking of a series of fruits that would be shared around so that one believer 
has one, another one has another. Is this making sense? So now what we're saying is one person doesn't just have the fruits of love. One person doesn't just have the fruit of joy or the fruit of peace, or the fruit of faithfulness, or the fruit of gentleness, and that will operate in your life at some point. It's fruit singular. Amen? See, he is referring to a cluster such as all the qualities are to be, are to be manifested in each believer. The whole thing will be manifested in your life. All of the fruit. Amen? See, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Isn't it fitting that love is the first mentioned? Because it encompasses literally all of the following. It may even be said that the following eight terms are just describing what love and action looks like. What love and action looks like. See, it would have been enough to mention only the single fruit of love for one or for love embraces all of the fruits of the Spirit. When we think about love, and I mentioned love last week, but I'm really going to break it down with you. In 1 Corinthians 13, if you'll turn your Bible there. In 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to read this to you. Real quick, this is the way of love. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. Love never end. Love never ends. Guys, we're supposed to walk in love. And when we walk in the spirit or in the spirit, we'll walk in love. See, love is so anti-cultural, anti-world, anti the kingdom of this world, isn't it? We are raised, and if you were raised in this world, you know that it's not about loving others. It's about loving yourself. This is why receiving the message of God's word and receiving his kingdom is so difficult for us is because it so opposes everything that's been ingrained in us from a child. And we literally have been indoctrinated in a complete other light that we have to get free from. God has to literally come into our life like a surgeon and begin to take things away and remove different things that are causing stumbling blocks that are hindering us, that are distracting us, that are working against his perfect will for our lives. And he does this through love. He does this through the Holy Spirit. Amen? See, believers are not dependent upon circumstances. The Bible is talking about joy right here. 
See, joy does not come from what you have. Joy comes from what you are or who you are. Not from where you are, but from whose you are. Joy comes from the Lord. It's not a state or a place within your mind that where you are at. It's not because of what you're going through that you're going to have joy. Some of you today don't have joy. Well, joy comes from knowing who you are in Christ. I can have, you tell me I can have joy in every moment? Yeah. Even when it's tough. Even when life seems unbearable. Even when the other option would be to have fear, to have anxiety, to be in unbelief, to be in doubt. Because you can be like that. You can. Or you could choose the latter and walk in love, walk in joy, walk in peace. See, one of the greatest marketing strategies ever employed was to position the kingdom of Satan as the place where fun is. And the kingdom of God is a place of rules, regulations, gloom, and misery. But see, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So if the fruit of the Spirit is joy, if being walking in the Spirit is joy or produces joy in my life, then everything else doesn't actually give me life at all. It's a false joy. It's a false life. It's a false peace. I don't know about you, but those who have lived in the world and according to the world, it doesn't really have much to offer. Maybe in the moment, it's been advertised that way. But can I tell you that it leads to destruction? That it leads to defeat? It leads to bondage, living in fear, being a slave to it? Oh, you think you're winning. You think you got it handled. You don't. The Bible says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. See, God has a place for our flesh. With all of his passions and desires, he wants you to nail it to the cross. So that it may be under control and under the sentence of death. Nail your passions and desires, the lust, the things that tempt you. Nail it to the cross. Crucify your flesh. See, the word crucified is an important word. Paul could have chose any word. He could have said killed, but he used the word crucified because it speaks of many things. It reminds us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It reminds us that we are called to take up our cross and follow him. It reminds us that the death of the flesh is often painful. It reminds us that our flesh must be dealt with decisively. See, those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh. This speaks of something that the believer does, being directed and empowered by the Spirit of God. It was not and is not just a sovereign work of God. No. See, the old man, the self-inherited from Adam, is crucified with Jesus Showing the work of God when we were born again. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. We are simply told to reckon 
or account that the old man is dead. See, we are not told to put him to death, but the flesh is another matter. We are called to choose to work with God, to do the flesh exactly what God did all by himself to the old man, and that's crucify it. Crucify it. See, this verb points to the believer and what you do and must continue to do. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a continuance. Crucify your flesh. See, the problem of our flesh, it won't be finally dealt with until the day when you die or when Jesus comes back he comes back in this time until then you are constantly to nail your flesh to the cross so that it hangs there alive yet powerless powerless see to resist the flesh is to nail it to the cross although the flesh is still alive it cannot very well act upon its own desires because it's bound and nailed to the cross amen See, in Jesus, you can live above your passions and desires of your flesh. The Bible says this. In feeding your spirit, there's four things you must first do. Give the word first place. Secondly, meditate on the word. Thirdly, practice the word. Lastly, remember the word. When it comes to giving the word first place, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. See, that word attend means to give heed or to put it first. Listen to what God has to say. We're talking about feeding your spirit. As you are crucifying your flesh and feeding your spirit, you hold on to his words. He says this because his words are life to those who find them and health to their flesh. See, the word health here is medicine. There is healing in his word, or it's medicine to your life. Just like you take natural medicine, when you receive a God's medicine, it'll heal you. You have to train yourself or put God to put God first. You got to train yourself. The next thing is meditate on the word. In Joshua 1.8, it says... The book of the law, turn that down for me, please, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on, or you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. You cannot develop your spiritual wisdom or your spirit without meditation. Meditating on God's word means to mutter or to speak the word to yourself 
That's why it's so important when you wake up, get the Word of God in you and start thinking about it throughout the day. It'll literally come alive in you. You're speaking it to yourself. You'll be like, man, you get a word like, I don't know, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials or various trials or temptation, knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience, steadfastness. You get this in your heart, you're meditating. Count it all joy. I'm going to count it all joy. I'm going to rejoice. And you're talking about this throughout the day. Rather than listening to the problem and situation and speaking it out and telling everybody else what's going on, complaining about it, grumbling, just like they did in, in Israel, just like the children of Israel did in the wilderness, sorry. Instead of grumbling and complaining, no, you get the word of God. I mean, this is what he's telling Joshua. Meditate. Meditate on my word. Don't let it depart from your mouth. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Next thing is practice the word. Be a doer of the word. Don't just be a hearer only, James 1.22. See, we know that this saying, practice makes perfect. I have a story to tell you, and I'm going to end with this. My son, a couple of weeks ago, has been doing homework when he gets home and writing his spelling words and reading his books and stuff. And as he was writing his spelling words, he was easily distracted, as a seven-year-old would be that's in year two. And I had to constantly remind him, hey, focus. Hey, erase that word. It doesn't look good. Write it better. Take your time. And doing this constantly. And it got to the point where I got a little frustrated and of course, when I get frustrated, when dad gets frustrated, it frustrates him. And so it's hard for him to do the work because now he knows I'm frustrated and he can't do the work properly. So I had to stop. How many parents have ever been there before? I had to stop because I wasn't about to get mad and upset because of homework. That's foolish. And if you do get mad and upset because of homework, calm down. Stop. It's good to stop. Take a, take a step back. Say, you know what? Let's stop for a second. Run around, go play. Let me go run around and get my mind right. Go pray. You play, I'll pray. <laughs> and before we started again, I sat down on the couch with them and I said, look, I want you to have an understanding, son. I'm okay if you mess up. I'm okay if you make mistakes. I'm okay if it's hard for you. I'm okay that it's challenging. That's what it is. It's work. And in order to get better or achieve and be successful in this, you're going to have to practice. And you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. But guess what? You're not going to do it alone. You have me. You have your mom. You have your teacher. You have people that are there supporting you. And when I was speaking this to him, I literally thought of how God is with us. You're serving God. And you got to practice God's word in your life. But can I tell you, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to feel unqualified, unskilled, not good enough. But you're not alone. You're not alone. He's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. But continue to practice. Because I feel like we stop practicing because of the hardness or the challenges that lies in serving God. And therefore, 
We quit and we give up because it's the easier way. He wanted to give up. Braden wanted to quit. He didn't want to do it anymore. But I had to encourage him and build him up, exhort him, teach him, train him. This is what the potty's for. This is what the church is for. This is why God has given you vision. This is why God has given you pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles for the work of the ministry, to train you, to develop you, to grow you. And it's going to be challenging along the way. But we got to practice God's word. So don't beat yourself up. The Bible says this in Philippians 4, verse 6 through 9. I'm ending with this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasseth all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. See, it says to practice. You got to do verse 8. You got to think about whatever is true, whatever your mind is on, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, what you have learned and received and heard and seen. This is what you practice. So you don't just think about it, but you do it. The last thing I said you have to do is remember the word. Remember the word. We're talking about feeding your spirit. Feeding your spirit. Remember the word. John 14, 26 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance what the Father has spoken to you. He will teach you. He will train you. You see, in our life as a Christian, there's been moments where God has worked, where we have seen God's power work in our life, where we have seen God do great things. Come on, everyone can testify to that. You've seen God work in your life. And because of that, it's a place of remembrance of what God has done. It's a memorial of your faith of what God has done. We know that in Joshua, when they put the stones as they were crossing the Jordan, it was a memorial to what God had promised the people of Israel. To look at those rocks and say, God did this. See, God is saying today to remember him. Remember his word. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.